Right. One of the things that was so important to the Lord that he wanted to make sure that he took care of. And uh, so he is resurrected from the grave. And as he's resurrected from the grave, he says to Mary Magdalene, what does he say to her? What does he say to her? Touch me not. Why did he say, touch me not? I haven't gone to my father yet. And so, as he is going, as he is, uh, uh, the day starts passing, he realizes he, he's going to go to his heavenly father. And he goes to his heavenly father, but you know, he is, uh, he is uh, welcomed with wonderful, wonderful messages from God, uh, from, from the gates of heaven. And it says, um, lift up your heads. What does it say? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And the angels inside said, Who is this King of glory? Why did they say, Who is? Hello? Okay, let's try this again. <laughs> Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And the angels inside said, What? Who is this King of glory? Why did they say that? They wanted to hear it. They wanted to hear it because they were so excited that Christ had come home. They were so excited about this, this event because... They had watched this terrible scene on earth. They had watched this king go to the cross. They had seen in the, in the garden before he went to the cross, they had seen him, his heart torn out, crying to his heavenly father, please, father, if you can take this cup from me, please take it away from me, because I, 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 I'm having problems with it, father. But, and the Lord says that nevertheless, not my will, but... Your will. Three times he pleads with the Father. Israel didn't want to go to the cross that he was pleading. I'm sorry? He wanted to die for us. So why was it that he wanted to go to the cross? He didn't want to be separated from his heavenly father. He felt the pain of sin in the garden from his heavenly father. He knew that the weight of sins that were being placed was greater than he thought God the Father could handle. He knew that the sins are what separate us from God. Oh, God, please, if it's possible... Don't let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I've been watching this, and they, there is that the Father hasn't been more um, present in this whole... Not present? Very present. Very present. But he couldn't reveal himself to his son. He couldn't do that because he had to die the, die the death that you and I will die if we are separated from God for eternity. He had to do that. So they're anxious to try to help him and he falls. Great drops of blood flowing from his head. And he's saying, no, Father God, Please, he feels like he's going to be taken even farther than the ground. He hangs onto the ground, but he's weak. The struggle has been almost too much. Heavens break with an angel. Angel comes and, and ministers to him and says, It's okay, it's okay. Your father loves you. Remember, he loves you.
Father is watching over you. He'll see you through this. It's okay. You can give the world a chance. And he encourages Jesus. Jesus somehow, from that visit from the, pulls himself together. And he goes back to the disciples one more time. But where are they? What are they doing? They're sleeping. And that's what we feel like doing right now. <laughs> and Jesus says, it's okay, you can sleep on. And about that time, what is he hearing? He throngs coming. So here, they hear him uh, fall under the cross. They see Joseph of Arimathea come up and take the cross. They are, are thrilled that at least somebody's helping their master. They wish that they could get that cross. They wish that they could uh, bathe the brow of the master. They wish that they could do so much, but they're held back. They're held back. So they just are watching. They're watching. They're watching with amazement. And they see their heavenly king die on the cross, resurrected. There is such extreme, they're so, so happy to, that, he's been, that he's been victorious enough to, to actually um, be wipe out Satan for eternity on. They're, they're actually so happy. And it says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, your everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in what? Battle. Battle. Then the angels again say, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And the angels inside again say, Who is this king of glory? They know. But they want to hear again and again and again. So, the, the home reunion starts. And they're so excited, and I know Jesus did first. What did he do? He went to his heavenly father. Went to his heavenly father and said, Father, has it been enough? And the father said, it's more than enough. It's more than enough. This welcome home is cut short. Because Jesus has something on his mind. He has his church. How is he going to go ahead and, and uh, prepare his to be completely ready for what's ahead of them? Just to do that. And so this little reunion only lasts about hours at the best guess. And he's back on earth. He's back on earth and he's walking with a couple way to where? Emmaus. Yeah. But he doesn't reveal who he is because he doesn't want the attention to be on the person of himself. Why is he not revealing who he is? Wait a minute. I can't go on without this. He did not want them to, he was, them to be uh, focused on who he was, that he was back, that he was raised. He wanted them to be focused on what the message was that he was going to give them. And that message was what? And beginning at what? Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's the 27. 
So he's walking with them to Emmaus, and he's just telling them all the things from the scriptures that point to him. But this, this man that you're talking about, he's, he's talked about in the scriptures. Starting from Moses, he starts expounding to them all the things that pertain to him. And he's, their hearts are, are warmed. Their hearts are maybe even bubbling. Maybe their hearts are even uh, excited about what he's telling them because it may, rings true. It's the scriptures. It tells what's going to happen. Warmed by this message that he's giving them. And then come home. Come on home. And as they come on home, you know, he, he sits down to eat and he raises his hand and blesses. Now they know who it is. It is Jesus. They, they are so excited, but he disappears. Why does he disappear? Again, because he wants them to remember what he has said and not the fact that he is alive. Right? They, they forget the meal. I think it just sat there. <laughs> and they ran to where? They ran back to Jerusalem. And they go up to where the disciples were, and they're knocking on the door, they're knocking on the door, and they, they come in, and they say, he is alive. And again, he shows up. This time, they know it's him. But do they really know it's him? It says that they even thought he was a, a ghost. And again, he explains to them from the Bible. He explains to them from where? Of God, the Bible, who he is. And then he goes on, These are the words I unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he's telling them that Everything was written. Everything was written. And that's why we're going to spend time on the inspiration of the word. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, again we come before you because person that can give us what we need. We thank you, Father, that you have We thank you, Father, that you have endured the terrible things that have happened to your prophets. Take us to the scriptures and give Help us to love the word of God. Help us to love what it says to us. Help us to love what it can do for us. And help us to love it to such an extent that we will walk in its paths and meet you again in the clouds. This your presence. May it ring true in our hearts. What you have done for us is my prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. Matthew chapters 4 through 7. Use the scriptures to what? Correct. To correct wrongs and or cultural or otherwise to establish what? Or to encourage faithfulness and what? Obedience. Obedience. So they, they, um, they wanted to... Uh, uh, Jesus used the scriptures to correct wrongs and, to, and ideologies, cultural or otherwise, to establish truth or to encourage faithfulness and obedience. Let's skip chapter 4 up there for right now, starting with the, uh, the uh, mount. What can you remember from the Sermon on the Mount changed the thinking of what the people were hearing from what they thought was the thinking of their time? In fact, all the blesseds were a change in their thinking. 
were they not? The blessed were uh, uh, because they they were thinking that they were downcast, that the, that they didn't have hope, they didn't have they didn't have a, a chance with God. And Jesus is saying, wait, 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 wait. Blessed are ye. So all the blesseds are. What else is a change in thinking? Five, six, and seven. A light for the world. Yes. How about the earth? And he says, if, you, if you've lost your saltiness, then why do I keep you around, right? You're going to be ashes under our feet. It doesn't say ashes. What does it say? You're going to be trod upon, right? So what is he saying? If we've lost that saltiness, that ability to, to give light and to give help to other people and to make the, the gospel flavorful to other people. If we've lost that ability, then we have lost our, our hold on him and we are going to be, we're going to be uh, trodden under feet. Is that what he wants? He wants us to change that, doesn't he? He wants to change that so that we are flavorful all the time, right? Even if you are at home, I, I think that there was a uh, somebody. I didn't realize that it was locked, but I guess it is. Even if we are somebody that is stuck at home, I had a young lady. Well, I shouldn't say young; she's quite old. That wanting to do something to help the Lord. And all she could do is couldn't get around. She couldn't drive. Her eyesight was really couldn't do, but she still could use the telephone. She still could use a magnifying glass, and she could go down the the uh, the phone book. She could go down the phone book, and she started calling, starting with A, all the way through the phone. Ten thousand people in her little town. And she called every single one of them in order to, in order to come give them a, a, an offer of the Bible. She said, I've been, I've been studying the Bible, and it's been such an inspiration to my life. And I know that you would be loving these studies. Come, just please come and, 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 and let me... Let me take your name, let me take your, your address, and let me... And many, many people signed up with her. Can you imagine? So, yes. That's okay. If they, if they want to come... I know. <laughs> it, it is hard because uh, I get taken away from what I was thinking <laughs> and saying. Thank you. So uh, it's, it's so important that at any age, we can still have salt. In nursing homes, I've, I've been visiting people in nursing homes and found that they simply loved to tell of Jesus, even if they couldn't see, even if they were paralyzed, they wanted to tell of Jesus. They hadn't lost their salt. And so it's so important. Watch him get locked out. <laughs> so important to remember that God is trying to tell us that there's things need to be changed in our lives, that we need to correct our thoughts, that we need to have the light, that we need to have the salt, that we need to also, how about prayer? Mm, interesting. I hope you will reread it. Prayer. About going to the temple, some, some standing up and saying that they are so right with God, others beating their chest. Worthy. Who went away forgiven? Who went away forgiven? The publican. So, was that a change of culture? Huge changes of culture. 
Huge changes. So God, Jesus used the scriptures to correct wrongs and ideologies, cultural or otherwise, to establish the, and encourage faithfulness. He also pronounced word as the only source of what? Power over what? Temptation. You will find that in verse uh, four of Matthew, um, chapter four of Matthew, and then I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. He cited from Moses writing specifically the book of Deuteronomy as means of using divine thoughts to destroy satanic suggestion temptations. So he said, and he quoted Deuteronomy what? Eight, three. And in that quote, what does it say? He unequivocally stated it to be that which what? Proceeded out of the mouth of God. So the word in the Old Testament was proceeding from what? The mouth of God. Now again, some of this is very, very familiar to you. God is the source of the word and the source of life. Jesus confirms that the speak unto you, they are what? Life. It is through the exceeding great and part of God that we might be partakers of the divine nature. This is probably one of my favorite <coughs> promises. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Why does Peter have to say exceeding great and precious promises? Because they're greater than he can explain to us, right? They're greater than he can explain. And so he's saying, I, I, I'm giving to you exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that amazing? It's like God is saying to you, you know what? I'm giving you a gold credit card. Being even higher than gold. I'm giving you this credit card. And what I'm saying to you is that everything that I'm offering, you can get on this credit card. You can get everything that I'm offering on this credit card. And the fact is that there's no charge for it. Everything of heaven is offered to us. It's offered to us through the promises. There's no to what we can gain from Christ through his promise. So... It's, in, it's incredible what God is doing for us. So I love this quote, or this promise, actually. And it is by taking heed to the word that young ways, and by hearing it, faith, what? Awakens. Psalms 119, 9 and 11, and Romans 10, 17, respectively. Christ ever made scriptures subject to what? Christ Ever or never? never? Ah. Christ never made the scriptures subject to dissecting. On the contrary, it was to be what? The dissector. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It dissects us, doesn't it? It lets us know what's happening in our lives. It lets us know what's happening in our thoughts. It lets us know whether or not we are uh, right with him or not. And so the word of God is, is necessary for us to, to be prepared for his coming. Since Christ declared all scripture to be the word of God, Blasphemous for anyone to assume the impossible task of what? Determining what piece of peace is inspired and which is not. I'll get back to that. All scripture. How much? All. All. 
I have to emphasize that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. The word inspiration in the Greek is what? God breathed, feel what? Nustos. That when it says that all scripture is station, that is talking of breathed this to the, the prophets. This first, that no prophecy of the scripture of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy Ghost. So it didn't come by what? Private interpretation. These are things that we've gone over, reinstated in our thinking. Paul's writings were based upon what? His understanding and dependence upon what? The Bible as being what? Irrefutable word of God. To the Romans he wrote, he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. For whatsoever things we were written aforetime. What does it mean aforetime? This is, this is coming from the New Testament. So whatsoever things were written aforetime, which means the Old Testament, were written for what? Our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have what? Hope. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. According to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for obedience of faith. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. These were more noble than those. Where were those people that were more noble? The Bereans. More noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they what? Received the word with what? All readiness of mind, but was it just receiving the word? It wasn't just receiving the word. They weren't just listening to it. They searched the scriptures to make sure that everything was as it was in the scriptures. They searched the scriptures. We need to learn to search the scriptures even more, more and more, even more and more towards the end of time. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Inspiration is what? God's method of influencing and directing the minds of men in the process of making them channels of divine revelation. So what is God trying to do by the word of God? <coughs> making us channels. Making us channels of divine revelation. If we're not getting the divine revelation, how can we give the divine revelation? Does that make sense to you? Receive it in order to give it. Many of the Old Testament authors asserted the inspiration of their message by putting their statements with such words as, saith the Lord, Jeremiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, etc. The Lord spake thus, Isaiah came unto Ezekiel. Uh, this is, uh, I'm sorry? Yes, but I'm, I'm, I always forget the words for CF. Um, it's cross-reference. <laughs> there we go. Cross-reference. Jonah 1, 1, etc. The Lord said, Hosea 1, 2, the Lord hath spoken it, Obadiah 18, etc. So 
the, the writers of the Old Testament prefaced the things that they were saying with God is saying this. I'm getting this directly from God. So in their minds, then how should we relate to the Old Testament and the New Testament? Christ attested to the inspiration of the Old Testament by making reference to it as the what? Word and record of God. And all those, those texts are there to help you uh, know where, he's, where he said that. So you've got a lot of text to look up. <laughs> it's also affirmed its authority by stating that the scripture cannot be what? The scripture cannot be broken. You'll understand why I'm going through all this. Paul claimed that what he taught was not by what? The Spirit. Peter acknowledged Paul's writings as on a par with others. And there is because we are finding a many people who are saying that Paul's writings are partly inspired and partly not. But the uh, sermon after the Holy Spirit came upon them, he preached it because he knew that things, things would be coming upon us, and he also said that Peter's, that Paul's writings were on the same par. The that his message had its source in God and came to him through an angel. Now I'm going to move, even though there's, there's more there, I think you're pretty close to the fourth, fourth page, right? Three, okay. Just second page? Okay. Clear up to the bottom of the fourth page is all scriptural references as to how God related to the scriptures. Now we're going to change a little bit. We're going to say here what the modern prophets said about the Word of God. All right? Bottom of page four. There are some that may think they are fully capable with their finite judgment to take the Word of God and to state that what are the words of inspiration and what are not the words of inspiration. I want to warn you off that ground. My brethren in the ministry, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. There is no finite man that lives. Did you see that? Are you watching that? There is no finite man that lives. I care not who he is or whatever is his position that God has authorized to pick and to choose in his word. Is that pretty straightforward? It gets even more straightforward. What man is there that to take that Bible and say this part is inspired and that part is not inspired? I would have both my arms taken off at my shoulders before I would ever make the statement or set my judgment upon the word of God as to what is inspired and what is not inspired. Is that a pretty strong statement? She's being very emphatic, isn't she? Very emphatic. Why is she being emphatic? Because she knows what's going to happen. She knows what's going to happen. Those who think to make the supposed difficulties of Scripture plain. Are you with me? Those who think to make the what? Supposed difficulties of Scripture plain. What is that saying? There really aren't difficulties. But because I think that they are, I'm going to make it. Is that what this is saying? It's saying, no, 
those who think to make the supposed difficulties of Scripture plain in measuring by their finite rule that which is inspired and that which is not inspired had better cover their faces as Elijah when, he, when the still small voice spoke to him. For they are in the presence of God and the holy angels who for ages have communicated to men light and knowledge, telling them what to do and what not to do. I, I, I have to go back to this, all right? Even I'm just reading it through now. For they, after the Elijah thing, for they are in the presence of who? God and what? Holy angels who for how long? Ages have communicated to men light and knowledge, telling them what to do, what not to do, unfolding before them scenes of thrilling interest, waymark by waymark in symbols and signs and illustrations. God and constantly, through the New Testament, communicating to us everything that we need to know in order to be stable in our experience with Jesus Christ. Steadfast, certain, our feet anchored in the rock. This is what God is trying to tell us that he's doing. And this is extremely interesting to me. And he, God, has not, while presenting the perils of clustering, perils clustering about the last days. What time is this for? And he, God, presenting the perils of clustering, perils clustering about the last days, qualified any finite man to unravel hidden mysteries or inspired of men to pronounce judgment as to what, uh, as to which is inspired or is not. How many years have we been in a Seventh-day Adventist church? In 2013, we celebrated our 150th anniversary. We had the 150th year. And as Elder Wilson said, he said, I, I feel that we've gone 150 years, and then again, I can be unthankful that we're still here. Right? 150 years, we have interpreted the scriptures the same way. We have been known as the people of what? The book. Known as the people of the book. 150 years, that went through the life of what? Ellen White, the modern prophet that helped us understand the scriptures. They worked it out with God first. And then as to the, the little group that was forming, Ellen White heard God pronouncing that good. She didn't form those studies, did she? No. She didn't form the doctrines. She didn't form anything of the beginnings of the church. But a voice told her that this is okay. This is the way it should be. And once we had that foundation, then the Lord gave her more information, but never beyond the foundation of this church. And I mean that it, it was founded in the scriptures and what she was given just added light to it. It's like a AAA map. How many of you are familiar with the old AAA maps? How about those triptychs? Do you remember those triptychs? Those triptychs were wonderful, weren't they? <laughs> uh, loved those triptychs. But was there anything on those triptychs that wasn't on the map? Was that, are you sure? 
you, it only focused on the part that you were going. So it amplified what, you were, what, what was already on the map, right? So you, may not, you might not see this little town, but as it amplified it, you see that there's little towns and there's, there's on the map. It was on the map. And the, the scriptures are the foundation of all truth. Ellen, she added more information. What I'm saying? There. And we need, to, we need to study the scriptures so that we can see how it is that all of it fits together. So the scriptures are so, so important. We have had 150 years where we have come to the scriptures and believed the scriptures. Something happened interesting on 2015, uh, 2013. What happened on 2013? Do you know? Anniversary? What else happened? I'm sorry? <laughs> Something pretty, pretty astounding happened in the fall council at the general conference in 2013. A symptom of the problem. Did you hear what I said? Yes. <laughs> no, the women's ordination was simply a symptom of the problem. Church is divided. But that, again, is a symptom of the problem. What was the problem? No, 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 no. What? How to... No, the, even the spirit of, we've, we've been questioning the spirit of prophecy for a long time. But it was questioning how we are going to interpret the Bible. What method of interpretation? And was given to us at that North American Division meeting. Sometimes I wish I could just burn this. Because it's the greatest apostasy that has hit our church. We are now trying to change the way we are going to. If we change the way that we can inter and uh, interpret the scriptures, then what does it do for us? It leaves us. It, get, it leaves a no foundation. Our people. The church is the head. There, the church is still staying fairly stable, but there are people under the different divisions that are taking the lead in, in changing the way that we are going to interpret the scriptures. It's called PBHC, Principle-Based Historical, Principle -based Historical Cultural Interpretation. What's different? We've been principle-based, historical, now we've added cultural. Do you realize that this is allowing many people to think that it is okay to change itself? So they are, they are trying to neuterize. What does neuterize mean? Would you like to hear what neuterize means? Neuterize, verb, to make men and women and society devoid of gender tendencies or characteristics in the attempt to eliminate femininity. A primary goal of Western feminists is to neuterize society. So, back there, quite a ways back, holy God, they're trying to change that to holy people of God. They're trying to change everything in the scriptures so that it matches utilized society. That society should be outside the church, not inside the church. My sister, it's mind-boggling. When I woke up one morning and heard this, I was 
astounded. I am a fifth-generation Seventh-day Adventist faith, but I'm a fifth-generation. My father was uh, vice president of the General Conference. I have many relatives that have been missionaries and, and head of different divisions all over the world. When I woke up and found that my church, my church had decided that the way that we've come to truth all these years, all these years, is not good enough. I was, I was completely distraught. I did not know how to relate to it at first. And when the conference for that, for that meeting, even before, no, I, I heard that they were going to get together a big a team to study this. I said, wonderful, I'm looking for biblical answers to why there's such a change or such a division. Why are we thinking that it's okay to do this or not okay to do this? And we've got this division that is coming. Why, why is that? There must be something in the Bible that I don't see yet. But every time I heard what was being said, I would open my Bible and it would be the Old Testament that is even before the, the uh, Aaron's sons as priests. That was not the interpretation that God was giving to that text. We need to look to see what God's interpretation is of the text. Then we know what our interpretation can be, right? And so I was, I was, I was stunned. Yes, we can be stunned. It's okay to be stunned, but we have to go beyond that. We're on the other side of it now. It's already happening. So what are we going to do? Are we going to get fogged by all of this miasma out there, or are we going to come back to the Word? To the Word. Absolutely to the Word. That is what keeps us steadfast. That is what keeps the Word of God. And that's why Jesus stopped his wonderful festival in heaven to come to the, to the earth to help his disciples get stabilized in the Word of God. It was so important to him that we are, we are people of the Word of God. So important that he stopped all the celebration in heaven and came back and said, let me just tell you something. You've been hearing what's been happening in Jerusalem you. Doesn't the Bible talk about this? And he went through the books of Moses, through the Psalms, through the, told them that this was planned from the very beginning. He had to do this in order to save that which was lost. He had to do this to save you and me. And so it was extremely important that this happened. Now, let's go on. And what does it say? And then takes what? Special care that it is not what? Corrupted. Isn't that amazing? God gives the message and he says, look, you're not going to test it. You're going to give it the way I gave it. That's why it's so, so important for us. So, so important. And that's why I wanted to take time to really help you recognize that we've got to get to the scriptures because we could not all of these other things. And you up here that I'm going to be presenting. But there's more things that are coming into the church that we have got to completely say the way of God. All right? It's, it's not what God gives the message and then takes care, special care 
that it is not corrupted. We need to remember that. I take the Bible, believe its utterances in an entire Bible. How much? Entire Bible. Men arise who think they find something to criticize in God's word. They lay it bare before others as evidence of superior wisdom. Oh, yes. I could spend hours telling you about things like this. But my point here is to direct you where? Men arise who think they find something to criticize in God's word. They lay it bare before others as evidence of their superior wisdom. These men are smart men, learned men. They have eloquence and talent, the whole life work of whom is to unsettle minds in regards to the inspiration of the scriptures. Yes, men. First, first uh, selected messages, page 17. The one before it had the abbreviation. I think it's a pamphlet since 16. Pamphlet. But if you if you check if you go and put that in, you'll get you'll get it up. Okay. Okay. This one is page 17. First selected messages. Brethren, let not a mind or hand be engaged. What is, why is it say, let not a mind or hand? We know that the, the mark of the beast was in the forehead or in the hand, right? Here she's saying, look, not even in your mind nor in your hand can you do anything Engage in criticizing the Bible. It is a work that Satan delights to have any of you do, but it is not a work the Lord has pointed out for you to do. First look, like the message is page 17. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrine, and the test of experience. I take the Bible just as it is, as the inspired word. I believe its utterances in an entire Bible. The holy book has withstood the assaults of Satan, who has united with evil men to make everything of divine character shrouded in clouds of darkness. But the Lord has preserved this holy book by his own miraculous power in its present what? Shape. A chart or guidebook to the human family, to show them the way of heaven, as it should be. Right? That's up to the point that she wrote this. Those who are truly converted to Christ must keep on constant guard, lest they shall accept error in place of truth. Those who think that it matters not, listen to this, those who think that it matters not what they believe in doctrine, so long in what? Jesus Christ are on what? Dangerous ground. Are we hearing that today? We're hearing it a lot, aren't we? We're hearing it a lot. You know, I, 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 to me, it's just so amazing that God has done so much to save us. I, I, I'm, I'm just amazed that he's done so much to save us. I need to finish this and then I can talk more. <laughs> Christ's favorite theme. Oh, yes, Christ's favorite theme. Okay, yes, I'm, I'm very thankful that God has done so much to save us, that he's done, given us so much. He's given us the word. Can you imagine the, the persecution that people have gone through in order to, to give us the word. Are you you're familiar with that? Yes? yes. Well, Terrible persecution. I sat in the cave up and walked the wall. That was in the caves a couple years old. John Randall went through and hiked the hills, hills and valleys, and it was amazing. I was not raised in this church, and I'm very much a new Christian. Yes. But I knew at that time that, again, God's word is going to be attacked. The, the God word is going to be attacked, but we have 
a sure word as long as so much of the time we are listening to other people give the word. Are you hearing me? We cannot let them be our conscience. We must go to the word and study it ourselves. Secure. Christ, and I like this because Christ had many, he had things to say about the way we should do things. The way He had much counsel. He had much uh, admonition. He had much uh, uh, thankings. Certainly Peter felt like he was spanked when Lord turned to him and said, uh, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that was quite a shock, don't you think? Uh, he had his moments. But what was the thing that was his favorite thing? What was it? Christ's favorite theme was the paternal and tenderness and abundant grace of God. He dwelt much upon the holiness of his character and of his law. He presented himself to the people as the way, the truth, and the life. Let these be the themes of Christ's ministers. Present the truth as it is in Jesus. Make plain the requirements of the law and the gospel. Tell the people of Christ's life self, of self-denial and self-sacrifice, of his humiliation and the death, of his resurrection and the ascension of his inter in intercession for them in the courts of God. His promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That is Christ's preferred way of working. Okay? Now this goes back to the Bible. I love this quote. I don't know why, but somehow I've missed this, even though I've read Hebrews many times. Um, I guess I hadn't read it in context with, with what we're dealing with now, right? But now that I'm in this mindset and I'm, I'm dealing with the Word of God, this really stood out to me. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? Who? Us, I hope. I hope we are. The heirs of promise, the immutability. What does immutability mean? It can't be changed, right? The immutability of his what? Counsel. Confirmed it by an oath. He did what? He confirmed it by what? An oath. That by two what? Immutable, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which in, entereth into that within the veil, whither the forunder is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest. What is that saying to you? There's absolute hope that, that not only has God, it says there, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Where do you find in the scripture? But he's saying the immutability of his counsel. The counsel being what? The word of God. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, the promise and the, and the counsel, in which it is it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge, refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Praise God. Praise God. What a wonderful God we have. He gives us counsel. And I present to you again the word of God. The most important you can ever spend your time with. Get in the Word. 
Don't be listening to everybody else. Get in the word. Make sure that anything that you're listening to is from the scriptures. Don't be taken away by every wind of Love the truth with your whole heart. And as you do that, you will find you will have safety in the ark of God. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I know in my own life that there are so many different things that want to take my attention. And I just pray for those hearing this message that they will have so far and your word. Lord God, make us ready to meet you in that wonderful day soon to come because we're seeing happening outside of us. Lord, make us not a part of it, but make us completely focused on you in Jesus' precious name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.